and that we know that you are on our side. Your word says, if God be for us, then who can be against us? So, Father, I thank you that we keep that in perspective. We keep our daily trials and daily situations uh, at bay. The enemy will not overcome us in our mind, but we will stay true and steadfast on your word, knowing that it wins every time. And we have the victory. You said that we could be of good cheer. When the AC goes out, we can be of good cheer. When, when sickness tries to come on us, we can be of good cheer. When, when we lose close family and relatives, we can still be of good cheer because you said, I've overcome the world. Everything that the world is, everything that the world tries to bring against us, you've already defeated that. So, Father, I thank you that we walk in your victory. We stay uh, true to your word. We stay focused on who you are and who you are in us. And we will overcome in every situation. I thank you for this word as it goes forth. We have ears to hear. And that we will walk away, apply the word, and be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are continuing our series on the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, last week, we um, identified the nine gifts of the Spirit. Um, And I told you that last week I was given kind of an overview of all the nine gifts, and starting this week, we're going to start breaking them down one by one. And um, if you remember last week, we broke them down into three different categories. Uh, You had the vocal gifts. Those are the gifts that say something. You have the power gifts. Those are the gifts that do something. And then you have the revelation gifts. Those are the ones that reveal something to people. And so today, we're going to start with the vocal gifts. Uh, We can go ahead and throw that slide up there. Uh, rehearsing what the vocal gifts were. And these are the three we're going to look at tonight. They're all pretty. This is actually going to be one of the simplest ones. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is, these three, especially the last two, are the ones that get the most scrutiny, are the ones that get uh, the most attention, so to speak. Um, The Bible is a very explained book but yet is still a very misunderstood book. And, um, you know, we've been talking for several weeks now that uh, I'm not in the business of seeing things misused or violated or abused in the church and then just throwing the whole system out because nobody can get it right. Uh, I'm here on a mission to correct all the systems that we don't think need to be talked about or belong in church anymore. And so that's why we're going through these. And again, like I said last week, don't check out on me. A lot of times when we get to these gifts of the Spirit, we start, you know, saying, well, that's for five-fold ministers, or that's for pastors and teachers. But we know, as we've been seeing, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that these gifts in diversity are given to everyone as the Spirit wills. So it's not up to us to say uh, that's only for this particular person or only for these type of people or for people the Holy Spirit chooses, because we know this, that the Holy Spirit chooses everybody. It's just a matter of, are we willing and yielding to what the Holy Spirit wants to do? But these are the three that we're going to take a look at uh, tonight, and um, we're going to help clarify what prophecy is, what tongues is, and what interpretation of tongues is. And um, so that's what we're going to dive into. Let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Remember, if you have a mobile device, you can um, get on the Version app. And we actually have our, this sermon laid out there for you. You can see the notes. You can see the verses right offhand. Um, and it's just a great way to participate and, and get in the service. So um, you can check that out. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1 says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. But look at this next phrase but especially that you may prophesy. Now, why does he put such an emphasis on prophecy? Why does he say desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy? Well, let's keep on going. Verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit... He speaks mysteries. Again, let's do this. Let's do the thing that we've been showing, y'all. When you are using the private use of tongues in your own personal, private, devotional time, 
You are talking to God. That is man talking to God. So tonight, we're going to actually look at the other side of tongues, and we're going to look at the public side of tongues. Because there, is two, there are two different forms. And where the scrutiny comes in and the misconceptions and the, the misunderstandings come in is when we get the two confused. Now, I'll tell you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is, is tricky. It's tricky the way Paul writes it because he's always weaving back and forth from the personal use to the public use. From the private use to the corporate use. And so people have taken misconceptions because they want a blanket statement the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 and say this is talking about any kind of tongues. But that's just not a true statement. And Paul makes it very clear when we keep it in context when he's talking about the private form and when he's talking about the public form. Here he says, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. That is the private use. That is me speaking to God through my spirit in a spiritual language that I don't even understand. Okay? But no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. He lets you know it's still powerful. It's still necessary. But you're just not building up anybody when you do it. But we know as we looked at it, uh, I think it was just a couple weeks ago, that speaking in tongues is a very powerful uh, application for believers. There's so much power behind that. I mean, to be able to pray the perfect prayer, like Romans chapter 8 says, that the Holy Spirit always prays in line with God's will. That means even when you don't know what God's will is, you can pray in another tongue through the Holy Spirit, and He can pray out the perfect prayer. That's the kind of prayer I want to pray. And Paul later on says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues as much as I do. So he's going back and forth here between the private use and the public use. Now look at verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. To men. So when you prophesy, who, who are you talking to? Who are you now directing your conversation to? Is it still to God? Let's read it again. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to who? Men. We're no longer talking to God. Now we've just jumped over and prophecy is now talking to each other. To man. Do we see the difference there? That's where we have to make this clear. Okay, we're talking about giving a prophecy. Verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now, when he says edifies himself, when he says when you speak in a tongue, he's just now switched back over to the private use. He just made that connection. And when you speak in a tongue with no interpretation, how in the world am I edifying myself if I don't know what I'm talking about? He's talking about your spirit, man. Remember, your spirit, man, is the real you. That's the real you. And when you pray in the spirit or pray in tongues... You are building up your spirit. You are edifying, encouraging, exhorting, bringing strength and comfort to your spirit man. But let's keep going. He who prophesies edifies the church. Now he just went and switched back over to the public. Private edifies yourself. Public edifies the church, edifies the body. Look what he says in verse 5. I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. And look what he says here. For he who prophesies is greater. Is greater. He actually goes ahead and lets you know it's actually a greater gift than speaking with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So what does this all mean? If we can put up that next slide, this is what prophecy is in relation to tongues and interpretation. Tongues and an interpretation of tongues is prophecy. It is prophecy. They are one and the same. Okay? 
If someone gives a prophecy in English and everyone understands it, they are building up, exhorting, and strengthening the church, just like Paul said a prophecy does. If someone just gives a tongue without the interpretation, it does not do the same job. But if the interpretation is given, you are doing the same thing as if you just gave a prophecy in English. Now, why is prophecy greater? Prophecy, prophecy is greater in this instance because it doesn't, it doesn't lean on having to have a second gift in operation. See, if someone just gives a prophecy, that's all that's needed is that person being moved by the Spirit. But if someone gives a tongue publicly where everyone can hear it and it's directed towards the body, someone's going to have to get the interpretation or we're all left in the dark on this thing. Remember, everything that we do, when we're using the public form of it, must be done for edification and exhortation. Nobody's edified if someone just stands up and gives a tongue in a different language and we don't know what that is. Nobody's built up. Nobody's comforted. Nobody's going to have warm, fuzzy feelings. (laughs) No one's going to know what the heck just happened. Okay? But when the interpretation is given, you perform the same action as if someone were to just give a prophecy. But that's why prophecy becomes greater than the two, because it only needs itself. It's not lenient on having to have another gift in operation. Here's what prophecy is. Prophecy. Did I put my definition in here? Yes. Prophecy is a word from God given by the Holy Spirit to Man. Every single part of what I just said is important. A word from God given by the Holy Spirit directed to man or directed to the body. Now, I want to kind of pull it away just for a second from the church or from the body because I want to let you know that this gift is just is just as good in a one-on-one situation as it would be if one person was speaking to a crowd. If the Lord gave me a prophecy by the Holy Spirit and it was only for Rosalie, that would still be edification and exhortation to her. And I wouldn't give it out in front of everybody because it was only related to her. Okay, so I don't want to I don't want to build this conception that it only can take place in a large group gathering and everybody has to hear it. Okay, there were many times where prophets in the Old Testament gave prophecies that were directed to one person. Prophets gave uh, prophecies to kings, Elijah, Elisha, uh, the prophet Nathan, Daniel, Isaiah. They were told to go to specific people. And give a prophecy to that person. Okay, so we don't have to. I don't want to build this conception in our, in our, you know, in our ideas that this has to be in a large group setting. But it can be used in a group setting, and when it's used properly, it will build up and edify and encourage everybody. It'll be encouragement. Okay. So, it is a word from God, given by the Holy Spirit. A prophecy. It cannot be done naturally, period. You can't make it up. You can't foretell things to come without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't speak into someone's life and, and hit spots and hit specific things that are going on in their life except by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, it's given by the Holy Spirit and it's directed to man. It's directed to a hearer. The prophecy isn't a prophecy unless you're speaking it to someone. You can't just get a prophecy in your head for someone and say, oh yeah, that's really good. Well, then there's no edification or excitation to the person who's supposed to hear it. Okay? So, it's from God. It's a word from God. It's not a word from you. If, if I switch over and give a prophecy to someone, that's not me telling them. That's God telling him. Yes, he's using my body and using my hands and he's using my voice. 
But it's God speaking by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that empowers all these gifts. We know that he gives them as he wills to man. Okay? So, again, tongues and interpretation, the combination equals prophecy. So, when we look at prophecy in these verses that we just read, you can throw in tongues and interpretation because either way, it's a prophetic utterance by God. Once again, it's a word from God given by the Holy Spirit directed to man. But we cannot go through that entire chapter, and every time Paul says the word tongues, that we have to think corporate setting, where we speak it out loud, everybody hears us, and someone needs to interpret it. That's just not a true statement. So someone asks, well then can you speak in tongues in public in a corporate gathering? It depends on the situation. It depends on how it's directed. If we are all in here and we're all in a prayerful or praising God and worshipful attitude, the Bible is very clear that you can pray in tongues and you can praise and worship God in tongues, just like you would in English. It's nothing different. If we all got in here and we just all started lifting our hands and saying, Praise God, Father, I thank you. You're so wonderful. You're so awesome. If we all started doing that, that would be no different than all of us in the same attitude doing it in a different language. Now, when it gets loud to where now you have just drawn attention to yourself and the, the, the music goes down, people start to get quieter, and we've got one person that's still a little louder than the rest, well, guess what you just did? You just turned your private use into a public use, whether you meant it or not. And this is why we have to have instruction. This is why we have to know how this works in a corporate setting. Okay? But when it happens in public, when it is someone giving a tongue, they will get louder than the rest. It would be like all of us having our own conversations. Because remember, when, when we're talking to God, we're all having a conversation with God. You're having a conversation with God. You're having a conversation with God. You're having a conversation. We're all praising and worshiping and praying to God at the same time. And thank God he is omniscient and he can hear all of us individually. But that would be like all of us having a conversation at one time. And then all of a sudden, someone stands up and says, hey, hold on a minute. I need your attention. Well, now what just happened? Someone got louder than the rest. And they drew the intent, they, they drew the attention to themselves. What's everybody in the room do? They stop talking and they take their attention toward the person that's now talking louder than the rest. Okay? It's the same situation when a public tongue is given. Now, when the public tongue is given, the interpretation has to come. We've already covered that. It doesn't help anybody if a public tongue is given. And there's no interpretation. Well, who can interpret? Let's go down to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And a little bit further on down there, in verse 13, Paul gives some instruction. And he says here, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Pray that he may interpret. The first responsibility to interpret a tongue falls to the person who gave the tongue. But that is not the only person who can give the interpretation. Because we already know in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, in fact, let's throw that verse up there real quick. Skip down to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. And that's where Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit distributes these manifestations to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation. So one person can get the tongue, and another get the interpretation. Verse 11 says, But one and the same Spirit works all these, distributing as He wills. So the Holy Spirit's the one that chooses. The Holy Spirit is the one who decides. But we just saw in 1 Corinthians 14, 13, that if someone were to give a tongue, what will happen is when they complete the tongue, it will remain silent until the interpretation is given. Because that's not the end of the conversation. There's still more to be said. At that time, the Holy, the Holy Spirit will begin moving on people. 
and we'll start revealing to them the interpretation. And that's where we get into the interpretation of tongues. Again, the interpretation of tongues goes beyond natural ability. You, not, you are not interpreting something that you understood when it was being spoken. You have just been given the translation of what was just said. Let me say that again. When the person was speaking the tongue, you weren't standing there understanding every word they were saying. But the Holy Spirit will reveal what was just said to you. So it goes beyond your natural ability to understand what's going on. And it, again, goes to goes past your intellect, goes past your mind, goes back, go past your natural ability. You can't study enough. You can't train enough. You can't, there, there's no book you can go find that's got a dictionary of tongues. You, you can't do it. It is only given to you by the Spirit, period. And when, when the tongue is given, now we wait for the interpretation. Now, if there is no one else that's speaking up, the responsibility is going to go to the person who gave the tongue, and the Holy Spirit will reveal to that person because the Bible said just right there that whoever gives the tongue needs to pray to get the interpretation. A lot of times you'll see, uh, depending on the, the situation, depending on the church, depending on the growth of the body, that a lot of times um, the, uh, the interpretation will be given by a five-fold minister. Someone that's been, uh, is more spiritually mature and more raised up, and sometimes they'll be the one to give that out. But again, it is not just for five-fold ministry. I have to clarify that. See, we, we get into these nine gifts, and we wonder, okay, what does that have to do with me? This is for the body. This is for the body to operate in. Okay? This is for everybody. So the tongue is given, and now the interpretation needs to be given. And when you complete both of those... That's the same thing as one person standing up in English and speaking the thing out. Okay? So that is where we get prophecy equaling tongues and interpretation. Um, let's keep on reading there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, let's go to verse... Let's start back up with 13 so we can keep it in context. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Verse 14... For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Again, he's talking about when you are praying in tongues in your own personal private time, your mind doesn't know what's going on. But who's praying? Your spirit, man. The real you. If you think that you think this life and this world that you're in is just all about what you see and what you can touch and what you can hear and what you can feel, you are very badly mistaken. There is more going on in a realm you cannot see right now than what you see right here today. Okay? Verse 15. What is the conclusion? What is the answer to this? He says, I will pray with the Spirit, but I will also pray with the understanding. He said, I'll pray in the Spirit, but I'll also spend time praying in English. I will sing with the Spirit, and I'll also sing with the understanding. I will sing... In tongues, but I'll also spend time singing in a tongue that I do know. When I say English, I'm saying English because that's what we speak. Paul obviously spoke a different language, so he spoke in a known tongue. A known tongue versus unknown tongue. Okay? So what's the answer? What, what is the answer to this madness? This is why I don't walk in here and preach a sermon in tongues. Because Paul's making it clear here that there's no understanding. And let me make this clear, that these gifts, and we'll get to look at it here in just a minute, but these gifts will not overtake a service. And I can tell you today, as your pastor, that this church will not be built and founded upon the gifts of the Spirit. Not even Jesus founded his ministry on gifts of the Spirit. And, and ministers that want to do that, they just want to have Holy Ghost nights every night and people are just talking in tongues everywhere and there's no interpretation, nobody's being built up, everyone's just thinking they had a good old time and nothing was really accomplished. There's, there's a problem with that. 
And so that's why we have to look at order. That's why I spent four weeks before we even got to these talking about order and how God orders something. And if you don't do it according to God's system, you're going to mess it up and he's not going to be in it. God only comes and blesses and lives in what you build according to his standard. We've, we've spent time looking at that. And so when these gifts of the Spirit are in operation, if we get outside of his system and outside of his order, he's not going to be in it. It's just going to be a bunch of flesh. It's just going to be a bunch of made-up stuff. I'll tell you right now, I don't know about you, but I want to be in what God's doing. I don't want to be in what I'm making up or what I'm putting on a show for, okay? Uh, Let's keep going. Verse 16. He just got done saying, I will sing with the Spirit, I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks? Since he doesn't understand what you say. If you just pray in the Spirit all the time, how's anybody ever going to agree with you? Amen means so be it. So how am I going to agree with you and say, yes, amen, so be it. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we need. How am I going to say that if all you do is you spend the whole time talking in tongues? Verse 17, for you indeed give thanks well. He's saying you do a good job, but nobody else is edified. Verse 18, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Verse 19, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. He's saying, I would rather get up here and talk to you in a language that you can understand more than just get up here and just do a bunch of blabbing in tongues. Now, apparently this church had a problem where they were just getting together and just talking in tongues to each other all the time. I know that sounds weird, and that's because it is. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the way it's supposed to be used. That's not the way it's supposed to be performed. You get no good if I preach this entire message in tongues. And again, when I'm even speaking in tongues, I don't even know what I'm saying. I know that I'm praying to God. I know that my spirit's praying. I know that it's edifying my spirit, but my mind isn't gaining any knowledge, and you are definitely not getting any knowledge. You're not being edified or strengthened. And therefore, it's not performing its, its proper task. Because we just looked at, why, why, what is prophecy for? One, it edifies the church or the hearer. Two, it'll give direction. You'll notice when a prophecy is given, whether it be in English or whether it be through tongues and interpretation, when a prophecy is given... It'll give people direction. And the whole church, uh, I've seen the prophetic happen in a church, and it changed the course of the entire ministry. They shut things down, and they got started doing a different thing. I've seen it happen. When you get a serious prophetic word for the entire body that ministers to everybody and says, this is what this church is going to do. I've seen them happen a lot uh, at the end of the year or at the beginning of the year. When you start getting an outlook for the next year and what, what are we going to do this year for God? What are we going to do this year for the kingdom? And I've seen them happen a lot at the end of one year, going for the next year, at the beginning of that year. And God will say, this, this year, this is what you're going to be doing. I mean, I remember uh, one, of, one of the strongest prophetic words that we ever got in St. Augustine was when the church was just beginning. Uh, we were probably still within our first year. And we had an a, a evangelist come in. And um, he gave a prophetic word to the entire church, and uh, I, I can't tell you all of it, but I remember one strong part of it was what took other ministries 20 years to do, you will do in 10. And I'll tell you right now, that's happening in St. Augustine. If you saw, if you went down there and saw what's taking place and where we have gone in just, and what, where they've gone in just eight years, other ministries have worked so hard just to get to that point with that many members i mean in america there 90 percent of churches in america are less than 200 less than 200 in attendance and they're running three 350 on a regular basis they're in spaces and, and on properties that at this early in the game 
churches shouldn't even be looking at. And that goes for all of Anchor Faith Church. That goes for the entire vision. But that prophetic, and so what do we do? We grabbed a hold of that, that, get, that gave us direction, that gave us instruction, it gave us encouragement, because that's what exhortation is. Exhortation is encouragement. Tell me that's not encouraging. You're, you're just starting your church one year into this thing, and someone tells you that what took someone else 20 years, you're going to do in 10. Tell me that's not encouraging. And that's how the prophetic works. And if I'm not mistaken, in that particular service when that man gave it, his wife gave the tongue and he gave the interpretation. And it became one prophetic utterance. Just as if he just spoke it on his own in English. Okay? So that is how this is used. Um, gives direction, gives instruction, gives, in, gives encouragement. Prophecy, the prophetic, it's not going to be uh, you're doing this wrong, and you're doing this wrong, and you're doing this wrong, and, and you're terrible people, and I don't love you anymore. If you see that happen, that's not God. Because that's not encouraging to anybody. Sometimes it may be uh, you've fallen away from your first love. Or you need to give more attention. If my people would just just pray to me, I'll hear them. But there's always an encouraging, positive side to it. If you hear a prophetic word and you just feel negative and down and discouraged, was not of God. Okay? And we have to talk about these things because people just want to operate in the Spirit. And then we can't say anything about it because who are we to say they're not operating in the Spirit? Well, we have guidelines to follow. And if you don't stick with those guidelines, I throw it out. And we'll look at a few of those here in the end. So we just looked at who can interpret. The Holy Spirit is the one who moves on people as he wills. Now let's look at order, because when we get down to, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, go down to verse 26. And this is where Paul starts addressing order. And how this should take place. Uh, Because remember this church. Look at verse 26. He says, how is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. He's saying, when you guys come, I mean, this is all you're doing. You're just having a bunch of manifestations of the Spirit. Nobody's nobody's encouraging or exhorting anybody. Uh, we're, We're just... It's one big jumbled up mess. And he says, remember, everything you do needs to be done for edification. So look at verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. Those sound like pretty, I mean, we're getting specific now. When, when you are to give a tongue, or when someone gets a tongue, that means we're not just going to have a whole service full of tongues and then go away and say, all right, that was awesome. Because First Timothy says that we're supposed to be joining together as brethren to get around the Word and to learn and study the Word. Now, is that a Word of God? Yes. But this is the Word of God, and this is why you have a pastor. This is why you have a shepherd. Okay? These are ways that God will move and manifest in a service, but these will never become the service. Now, there's debates out there, and I don't get into them, on if these numbers are really rigid or if there's any flexibility. I don't talk about that because the main thing you want to stay in is making sure that there's order. And you know when something goes from being in order to chaotic. It's obvious. We're not, Okay, now, now we're moving into... And and as a pastor and as a leader, you have to be able to shut those things down just as as fast as you're able to let them happen. And I've been in those services. And that's that's why a lot of people sometimes are afraid to move in the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you this, I will always commend someone for stepping out and moving in the Holy Spirit, even if they got it wrong. Even if they got it wrong. Because the whole key for any of these gifts to work is a yielding and willing heart. 
And I would rather have a room full of people that are yielded to the Holy Spirit and willing to step out, even if they get it wrong, than a bunch of people that are going to sit tied up and say, I'm not going to let the Holy Spirit talk to me. I'm not going to embarrass myself. I'm not going to step out. I'm not going to let him manifest. Holy Spirit can't do anything with that. Like we've said before, the Holy Spirit, it's not demon possession. He's not going to come and overtake your body and make you do anything you don't want, you, you don't want to do. He's a gentleman. And he will impress upon you, and you'll feel it, you'll know it. And I've, I've been in services where, where people have got it wrong, and I know that my pastor went to him every time and said, Look, I appreciate you, and I commend you for stepping out in the Spirit, and I don't ever want you to, to not. But let, let's bring instruction. Let's, let's direct this properly. That's how it should happen. Okay? So, what is Paul saying here? He's saying, we're not going to have a whole service of just a bunch of people speaking in tongues and a bunch of people interpreting. Not going to happen. We're going to set some rules. We're going to set some boundaries. Go to verse 28. This is a very controversial verse as well. If there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. This is the number one verse where people want to come in and say, you cannot talk in tongues in a corporate setting, period. But if you say that and you come to that conclusion out of this verse, you've just taken it out of context. Because what was Paul just talking about in 26 and 27? The gift of tongues and interpretation. The prophetic. Now, Paul is talking about the private use. And what he means here, but if there is no interpreter, how in the world are you supposed to know if there is no interpreter? I mean, think about that. Going in, you're, you're scanning the room. Uh, can he interpret? Can he? You don't know that because the Holy Spirit chooses. So here's how we discern that. You want to go with the setting and the environment that you're in. If I'm in a believer's meeting and I know I'm surrounded by people that believe like-mindedly, understand this, are informed on how this operates, then I know I'm in a room where I'm likely to have an interpreter. But I'm not going to do prison ministry and just start bursting out in tongues and interpretation. I'm not going to do an outreach in the middle of the city with a bunch of lost people and just bust out with tongues and interpretation. Why? Wrong setting. And if you feel that you have a tongue coming on, you keep it to yourself and you speak to yourself and to God just like the private use is used. And you have to learn to restrain yourself. Remember, the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So the same Holy Spirit that's telling you to give you a tongue also gives you the self-control to keep it to yourself if it's necessary. But again, when you're in a corporate setting and your majority is believers, people that think and know, have knowledge in this, then you, can, you enter into corporate. It would actually be wrong of you to sit and stand and do nothing when everyone else is entering into the Spirit. If at the very least you need to start praising and praying God in your own language. But where people get wrong and where people get off here is they turn something that is meant for participation into spectation. And I'm just going to stand and watch. And what happens when you stand and watch? You scrutinize. You become critical of what's going on. You feel excluded because I'm not participating in what's happening. And this happens. So we got to know how to operate in the proper environment. And if there, is a, if there is an opportunity where there are a few uninformed people, then explanation needs to take place. I mean, every church service that I've been in, where a, where a move of the Spirit has happened, I've been under pastors that have immediately after it's happened, Immediately after the prophecy was given, immediately after a tongue or interpretation was given, they will go right here and they will read this. So if there's anybody in the room that doesn't understand what just took place, 
Now you know. This is a gift of the Spirit. This is the move of the Holy Spirit. God is wanting to say something to the body through this person and through this person, and that's what you just received. That is that simple. You need to explain it. I'm not saying you just leave people in the dark. I'm saying explain it and show them in the Word what just took place. Now, if they refuse the explanation, then that's on them. I mean, I can sit here all day long and tell you why adultery is a sin. If you refuse the explanation, then that's on you. Okay? It's that simple. So that is, that is the order of how it is supposed to take place. You've got to know your setting. You've got to know your environment. Okay? Um, and the last thing I want to pull out here is how do you judge a prophecy? Uh, let me, I don't know if I put that verse in there. Uh, let me pull it up real quick because we are told. Verse 29. Pull up 14, verse 29. It says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Well, how in the world do you judge a prophecy? This is kind of what I was saying earlier that how in the world do you call someone who says they're operating in the spirit? How do you really determine Well, we've got guidelines. The first guideline is, does it bear witness with your spirit? If someone gives you a personal prophecy, and it doesn't bear witness with your spirit, you don't have to accept that. I think I've told you all before, if if someone comes up and prophesies to you and says, uh, you're going to be a a missionary to the nations, and you're going to travel all the world, and you're going to go to Africa and, and reach... You know, all the poor nations in in you, there is no desire absolutely whatsoever to to leave where you're at. In fact, you know where God's called you. You know what God wants you to do. Then you know what? You don't have to take you don't have to go home and pack your bag and say, Well, I guess I'm going to Uganda. Let's pack it up. I don't know what in the world I'm doing there, but I guess I'll find out. Now you need to search the spirit. God, is that really for me? You want to be teachable. You want to be open. But if it just doesn't line up, uh, and again, that's between you and God, because if you end up rejecting something, I mean, we know Jonah had no desire to go to Nineveh. But he had the wrong heart. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want to see a bunch of sinners get grace like he had gotten grace. They deserved to burn and die like Sodom and Gomorrah. So I'm not going over there. Well, that's the wrong heart. It wasn't because he didn't have a desire to travel, because he was a prophet, and that's what prophets do. So he was just refusing the call of God. But you've got to know. But just because someone comes up and, and gives you a prophecy doesn't mean you, it has to bear witness with your spirit. And yes, the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, and he'll let you know. He's not going to leave you in the dark. It's not a guessing game. That's what we've been talking about on Sundays, getting rid of this whole guessing game. Is this really God? If, when, how? We don't need to play that game. Number two, does it line up with the Bible? The Holy Spirit and the Word of God are inseparable. The Holy Spirit is not going to say something that the Bible doesn't say. The Holy Spirit is not going to say something that rejects or is in direct confrontation to what the Bible says. So if someone gives a prophecy and it doesn't line up with the Bible, I'm throwing it out. Sorry, you missed it. The Bible tells me to judge. And according to what you just said, it's not lining up with what the Word of God says. But it will line up with the Bible. And the last thing is, does it come true? And that's just obviously over time. Uh, I remember in 2003, I got to sit in one of the most amazing, powerful services of my life. I was still in Bible school at Rama, and um, uh, Kenneth E. Hagan, he was the founder of Rama, founder of the Word of Faith movement. Um, in 2003, at a winter Bible seminar, which was a, a week-long camp meeting deal that they did, morning, afternoon, and night services. And in one of the evening services... He just broke out in the prophetic ministry. In the, in the latter parts of uh, Kenneth Hagin's life, he operated as a prophet. He operated in almost all five, uh, five tools of ministry. He was a pastor. He was a teacher. He was an evangelist. 
at one time, and then in in the the latter part of his life, he became he was a prophet. He entered into phases of ministry, and we'll eventually talk about those. Because those are gifts to you as well. Those are gifts to the body. The prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, the apostle, the pastor. Those are gifts to the body. And we'll talk about those. But Brother Hagin, he was a prophet. And I remember this service. It was a Thursday evening. And I was sitting up in the balcony. And um, he just began. He actually pulled up a chair on the stage. And he just began praying in tongues. Now everyone's hearing him. And all attention is directed to him. No one's saying a word. Nobody's playing music. Nothing. And he prophesied his own tongue. He interpreted his own tongue and gave a prophecy. And he laid out 2004, 2005, and 2006 in that prophecy. Through the entire prophecy, it probably took about an hour. About an hour long. Just going back and forth with tongues, interpretation of tongues. I have it written out. I've got it on video. I've got it on... CD, I've got it. One of the most powerful services I've ever been in. And that's how it operates. That's how it operates. And he was very strong. I mean, he, 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 he made this statement. He said, I could be in the natural, I could be in the flesh on the stage and by, jump off the stage and hit the ground. By the time I hit the ground, I'll be in the spirit. That's how quick. He said, he said God is more real to me than my own wife laying in my bed next to me. But he cultivated that relationship. And he got so close with God that he knew exactly what God was thinking, what his will was, what his purpose was. He knew it. And that's why he operated in this ministry so effectively, especially as a prophet. And in that service, uh, like I said, it was about an hour long through the whole ordeal. But in that service, I was sitting up in the balcony, and there was a, uh, <laughs> uh, there was a woman that, don't really know for what reason, but she stood up and just started speaking in tongues so loud. I mean, we're in a, there's probably about, you know, close to six to 7,000 people in this auditorium. And she just started, she just jumped up and started speaking in tongues to the top, the top of her lungs. Everybody could hear. Well, obviously, that's not the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we're teaching on these things. Because the direction and the attention is on this man. And he's speaking a word. And she was doing just what Paul said not to do. We're not all going to jump up and just start speaking in tongues all at the same time. So if this person is given a tongue and interpretation, then you wait and listen and receive that. So they had to take care of her. They had to take her out in the hallway and let her know, look, this is not the time. This is not the place. These things happen. This is why we're given this teaching. This is why we're given that instruction. Wow, that's embarrassing. Wow, that's, it's just someone that needed to be instructed. That's all. Take her out. Explain to her the scripture and what's happening. It's very simple. But if she's yelling at the top of her lungs and taking the attention off the man of God that is giving a word, is anyone getting edified? Anyone receiving instruction? Anyone see? No, of course not. You're having to fight through that to get to this. And it shouldn't be that, not in a church service. Out there in the world, there's plenty of things that try to distract us and try to, and so that's why Paul said, we've got to have order in this thing. We can't be distracted. We can't have people leaving service wondering what just happened. We've got to do things with order, with decency. If you go on uh, down to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 39. Closing it out, Paul says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Well, there you go, right there. Don't tell anybody they can't speak in tongues. But, verse 40 let all things be done decently and in order. So that's the goal. The goal is edification. The goal is a manifestation of the Spirit so God can make Himself known to the body. And the reason why we're talking about this is it because it involves everybody. 
Anybody can yield to the Holy Spirit when He wants to move through your life. At the same time, anybody can shut it down. And you can say no. And say, I've done both. (laughs) It's better when you do what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. There's been times, and man, you just go home and you're just like, it eats you up. And thank God for His grace. Thank God for His mercy. He's not holding that over my head. He just wants me to get it right the next time. But there's times in service where I knew there was something I should have done, and I didn't. And it just it, and and the thing is 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 because it's the spirit, and you don't know exactly what he wanted to do, but you know it was to edify someone, it was to encourage. Who was going to be encouraged by me yielding to the Holy Spirit that service? Who was going to be edified? Who who was going to receive direction for their life? Because I obeyed the Holy Spirit when he wanted to move. Those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. Okay? So that's why we're talking about these. And um, again, like I said last week, uh, this is not the end all. In fact, I can almost assure you that you may have more questions after we talk about these things. And we're here to answer questions. We're here to direct. We're here to continue to show people through God's word how these things operate in service. I'm not trying to scare anybody from using them. I'm trying to build up the desire so you allow the Holy Spirit to move through your life. That's what I want. Because these gifts of the Spirit are so powerful for the church today. And a lot of churches are missing out. I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of churches are having to... Uh, they have to just result to doing things in the natural because they are not willing to allow the Holy Spirit to do anything in their service. I'm assured of that. we got pastors and leaders that are looking at how can I get louder music and brighter lights and, and, and better facilities because they are unwilling to allow the Holy Spirit when if you just went to the Holy Spirit, that He'll take care of all that stuff. And then he'll let you know what to use in the natural. But we've got to put the emphasis back in the right place. Amen? And that's why we're talking about this. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that your gifts of the Spirit, they are in operation for today, for us. And Father, I thank you that we will operate. It's not to puff us up. It's not to make us look better. It's not to be vain or conceited, Father. It's to allow your Spirit to have His way in our services. Father, we're going to do it without being weird. We're going to do it without being awkward and without being confusing, Father, because we're going to give direction, and as people hear the direction, as people hear the instruction, it will, it will build a desire that will allow them to, to move and operate according to the Holy Spirit, according to how He wants to move in our services. And I thank You that we will receive instruction. We will We will receive direction because we are yielding to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.